You are listening to the podcast from Mosaic Church. Stay tuned afterward for more info about how to get and stay connected with our church family. Now, let's dive into this week's message. Hey, hey, welcome again to Mosaic Church, both online and in person. It's amazing. My heart is so full every time I'm up here. I get to see so many faces that I know, a lot of new faces here too. So welcome. We are so thrilled and honored to be able to be here with you. And uh, I'm excited to be able to share something with you. It's been on my heart this week. So let's begin here with Psalm 120. The scripture reading is going to be on the screen as well as, of course, in your Bible. Here we go. I'll be your scripture reader. Psalm 120, a song of ascents. I call on the Lord in my distress, and he answers me. Save me, Lord, from lying lips and from deceitful tongues. What will he do to you? And what more besides you deceitful tongue? He'll punish you with the warrior's sharp arrows, with burning coals of the broom bush. Woe to me that I dwell in Meshech, that I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. And that's the reading of God's word. What, that, what that's all about, we'll get back to you here in just a minute. But again, welcome everybody. Man, our heart is, is so full as we regather. If you don't know me, I've got this, I've got this close group of pastor friends, and we do this annual prayer retreat, I try to anyway, every year in Colorado. Because as you know, Californians come to Texas, but Texans go to Colorado. That's where we go. It's true, but actually my group is from all over. And the highlight of our time together every year is taking this uh, prayer hike and prayer walk uh, up in the mountains somewhere. We didn't get to do it this year, though. You know, curse you, COVID. But usually on this hike, it's just sort of up and down. Make sure you bring some water and a snack because it's going to be a leisurely hour or so up in the mountains, getting some views, and then we'll go down uh, the hill. And it's all, usually it's all good. But a, a couple of years ago on this plant hike, it went differently. Things didn't go according to plan because first of all, somebody in our group said, hey, why don't we try a different trail than we've tried before? Sure, we said, what could go wrong? Famous last words, right? It'll be a bit further, we said, but it's okay. We'll come down a different way than we went up, but it's okay. It'll be all good. So we're up here this one year, and again, we're taking the longer loop, and yes, we have the map they gave us, but after a while, it became clear that either the map was wrong, some of you are saying, sure, maybe the map reader was wrong, right? Or the trail wasn't marked, but either way, a couple of hours in, we had no idea where we were. We're up at 12,000 feet, it's starting to rain, the sun's starting to set, we don't know where we are. Now, I wouldn't call myself an expert outdoorsman, but I've been out there enough to know when things aren't going well, and things are not going well. Myself and my friend who proposed said new, uh, a new trail, huddle over the mat. We decided to forge ahead, keeping on the path that we're on. About an hour and a half later, we're still walking. And we haven't seen another human being in hours. About the three-hour mark, my friend Donnell, some of you know him, he gets severe altitude sickness. He's dizzy. He's short of breath. His legs are cramping. We seriously consider like having to carry him. Only problem is he's six foot five, weighs about 230 pounds. We have to stop every five minutes for him. At the four hour mark, we're about to give up. And then we come to this intersection with an abandoned ski lift in the middle of who knows where, Colorado. And my friend James, some of you may know him too, he's a pastor. Uh, He's a six foot three brother from inner city Detroit, weighs about 275 pounds. We think he's about to go see Jesus when he sees this sign. Up there, this this sign, one point says this, warning. (laughs) 
You are leaving the ski resort. You can die. This is your decision point. Yeah, so James stops. He pulls out his cell phone. We're thinking two things. Number one, who are you calling? And number two, how are you going to get reception all the way out here? But he dials a number. It connects. He doesn't even look at us. He, he, the person on the other line uh, picks up, and, and James says to the person in a low voice, hey, baby, it's me. <laughs> and here's what he says with his back turned to the group on purpose. He says, baby, I just want you to know, if I don't make it back, tell the kids I love them. <laughs> Where are we? I don't know, baby. Dan and Morgan got us lost. <laughs> Pray for me. I don't know how much longer I can make it. Now, at this point, again, it's getting real. It's starting to get dark. We don't know where we are. And finally, finally, we see a trail that's marked on the map. And we figured out at that point where we were. So my friend Dan and I, the ones who got us lost, we go back to the group and we say, we've got good news and we've got bad news. The good news is we know where we are. <laughs> The bad news is we've walked as far away from civilization as we can get and we're miles away from any ride down. James turns his back and starts to walk away. He's so, so mad. But sure enough, we make it to that drop-off point. Uh, we finally get there and the gondola is still running. We just hold each other and cry. I'm kidding. That didn't actually happen. But we do get on. And as we're going down, we ask the lift attendant, hey, what, what time does this lift stop running? And he says, oh, oh. he says, oh, any other day, it would have actually closed hours ago. You guys are lucky because tonight there's something happening down in the town at the bottom of the hill. And so we kept this gondola running. So we made it. And of course, for this, yes, I am grateful. And yes, the odds were that no matter what, some way, somehow, we probably would have been okay. But for a few moments there, with one friend unable to walk because of altitude sickness, the sun going down, it's starting to rain, it's starting to get cold, it's starting to get dark. With all of us exhausted and lost and running out of time and water, we experienced the first line of Psalm 120 <laughs> and really the last word of the first line of Psalm 120 because Psalm 120 was a psalm written by someone on a journey himself, a person on a journey with fellow travelers. That's what a song of ascent really was. It was a song written about what it's like to go on a journey with fellow travelers through life, chasing after God. And I experienced that day. We experienced this first line, especially that last word. I call on the Lord in my distress. And if there's a word that describes what my friend group felt that day and what I think Many of us feel right now today as we all journey through 2020. It's that word. It's the word distress. Now, my story's got some humor to it. I hope you felt that. But your story today, where you are today, your story may not have that same kind of humor. But either way, funny or not, serious or not, today I want to talk about what Psalm 120 shows us about journeying in the middle of distress, why we might feel distressed, how we got that way, and maybe even where God is in the middle of all of it. Because as you, if you haven't figured out, as you can tell, we're in the middle of this series called A Prayer For. We're looking at how each week, how the Psalms show us what to pray for, how we pray for things like ourselves, for our families, for our faith community, today for our neighborhood, the place where we live, next week our city, and finally our nation. So let me ask this question. Why does the writer of this psalm feel so distressed? Where's that distress coming from? Well, he summarizes all that he's feeling here in verses 5, 6, and 7. And I love how he puts it. He says, woe to me. 
that I dwell in Meshech. I live among the tents of Kedar. Too long have I lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So Meshech, he's like, where's that? That's a place thousands of miles to the north of Israel in modern-day southern Russia. Kedar was a wandering group of Bedouin tribe, Bedouin people to the south of Israel. So what's the geography lesson showing us? Well, the writer is saying this. North, south, east, west, no matter where I go, I don't fit in. No matter where I live, it's like I don't belong. There's no place for someone like me. I have these values. They have those values. And I cannot reconcile who I am with the people and the culture around me. And it's causing me distress. Woe to me, he cries. What's he getting at? He's getting at, I think, the core experience, the core tension of what it means to truly follow the one true God in this world and through this world. And there's one Bible word in particular, I think, that describes that experience precisely. Over in the New Testament, one of the very first Christ followers in history, he wrote a letter to some churches as he was on the run from the Roman government, as he was on the run hiding in secret from a secret underground location, the apostle Peter put it like this. Peter used one word to describe the tension of those who are truly following God in the world. First Peter 1, 1, he puts it like this. He writes and he opens the letter. He says, to God's elect, he's, here's the word, exiles scattered throughout the provinces. So Peter says that those who are journeying with God through this world, they are this. They are exiles. Now that word is the Greek word, parapodemos. I love that word. It's a combination of two words, as you can kind of see there. Para, which means alongside, and pedemos, like walking, which means one who travels or pilgrims in a strange land. Now, some translations here, they give, give you exiles, some give you pilgrims, some give you strangers. But the reason is because Peter's using a word we really don't have a good translation of in English. So let me give you Pastor Morgan's best shot at it, all right? Parapodemos is literally something like this. Here's my translation. Literally the term sideways walker. Parapodemos, two concepts, one word. What does it mean? What does it mean for a moment? I'm going to ask, try to answer the question. What does it mean to be a sideways walker in the world? All right. Well, if you're a sideways walker, like the writer of Psalm 120 kind of hints at, you may be living in a foreign land. So you're not from there. But you're not a tourist there on vacation either. Like You're not a person who walks around in really bad sandals, a really bad T-shirt on, camera around your neck everywhere, taking pictures of everything, right? No, you're deeply involved in that place and the culture where you're living. To an extent, you're walking with your culture. You know the language, the customs, the roads, the restaurants, the places where folks work. You're not a tourist. You, you live in Meshech, right? You make your home among the people, the tents of Kedar. On the other hand, you're not a citizen there either because your citizenship this guy, is from another place. Even though, yes, you're subject to the rules and the laws of your new place, even though you know your neighbors, you speak the language, they think you're kind of strange because you keep doing things. They look like they're going sideways to them, countercultural to them. Why do you do that? The Meshekians may ask you. 
Why don't you do that? The Kadarians may ask you. In other words, you totally blend in in some ways. Totally stand out in others. You may live in Meshech. You may make your home among the tents of Kedar, but you don't fit anywhere. You're a sideways walker. You're, sometimes you're going in the flow of culture. Sometimes you're, you're walking sideways to it. You go against the grain. You stand out. That's what an exile is. Sideways walker. Peter says that's what it looks like. That's what it means. That's what it feels like to follow God in the world. You're in the world. You're not of it. And if that's true, if people who are going after God in this world, and it is, here is what it means. It means you are never going to feel like you really fit in. It means you're always going to feel somehow like you, you stand out or you stand apart, which means that tension may cause you, like Psalm 120 points out, to feel distressed at some point or another. You'll say, I live among these people, but I'm not like these people. They want something like, like war, but I, I want peace. And woe to me that I live where I live, in the nation where I live. You may be even saying, I feel like an exile in my own country, in my own land. You may say, I don't feel like I fit in this political party. Party, that political party, neither one fits me. I'm a sideways walker. Eh, I fit in here, but I don't fit in over there. Hmm. One of the great Christian men and writers in history, a man named by the name of John Bunyan, when he was jailed in England in the late 1600s for, of all things, having a church service outside the Church of England. When he was in jail, do you know he wrote a book that's never been out of print now for more than 350 years? Hmm? It was, wasn't Citizen's Progress. What was it? Come on, some of you know. Yeah, Pilgrim's Progress. Actually, the full title is this. The Pilgrim's Progress. From this world to that which is to come. What was Bunyan trying to show us? I, th- I think it's this, that the, that the fundamental experience of a Christian is that you are in a very real way. You're always on the way and therefore you'll always be having trials. You'll always be having adventures, misadventures, experiences, difficulties, and distress. In the book, Pilgrim is in distress. He's always growing. He's always learning. He's always on, uh, like a pilgrim, a, an exile. He's always on this constant, never-ending, sometimes up, sometimes down journey. And if you think, I think, that the Christian experience is somehow something different than that, that just shows me two things. Number one, it shows me, and good for you, by the way, (laughs) this is you, you somehow escaped the distress of 2020. Number two, it shows me you've never maybe actually read Psalm 120. So he says... I don't fit in. I'm walking sideways to my culture, to my team, my neighborhood in general. But, 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 there is actually one thing above all that's causing this writer distress here. There's one value that he sees that it's lost in his culture that's grinding him down more than anything else. One thing that grieves him more than anything else. And one thing in particular that he cries out for, for rescue from Almighty God. We're going to see what it is. Here's what's really causing him distress. In verse 2, he says, Save me, Lord, from lying lips and deceitful tongues. All right? He's saying what causes him most distress, what makes him stand out for the people around him, sideways walk to his culture. He says, There's a lack of truth around me in my culture. He said, God, save me from all the lies, he writes. And this is interesting. Then he says, Save me from what? He says, Deceitful tongues. What's this getting at? 
This is a Hebrew poetic couplet right here. Psalms are songs and poems. Hebrew poetic couplet where the second line illuminates the first. In a Hebrew poetic culture, couplet, the second line brings out the meaning of the first. So when he says, save me from lying lips, and then he writes, but it really means deceitful tongues. He's saying this, that telling the truth is more than just not lying. Lying isn't just saying something false, though it is. Lying is actually withholding the truth to deceive another to benefit the self. Because you know, you know this, come on. So he knows, you cannot lie and still withhold the truth. Hmm? For example, and you're going to get real personal real quick. Honey, you ask your spouse, what are all these credit card charges? They answer, I thought I saw you using it the other day. Hmm. Here's another one, maybe to a roommate. Hey, what, what did you have to eat today? I thought you said you weren't going to eat any more ice cream. They answer, I ate all my vegetables. One of our children used to have a predilection for, shall we say, stashing candy without permission and then eating it in the closet. We would ask the child, were you sneaking candy again? The child would answer, I'm not in my closet right now. <laughs> What's happened in all those cases? True statements, but not truth telling. True statements, but not truth telling. What was happening? Deceit because of what was being withheld. See, the opposite of truth telling, therefore, isn't necessarily just lying. It's withholding the full truth of what, at any point it's needed. See, the, the opposite of truth the writer is showing us, what wears us down, what's wearing him down, what erodes culture, what causes us deep distress, isn't just all the lying. It's the deceit. And we need to be rescued from it. Eugene Peterson, he's a Christian author, Bible translator, wrote a commentary on this Psalm, Psalm 120, and he says this. He says, the psalmist is asking, saying, God, rescue me from the lies of advertisers who claim to know what I need and what I desire, from the lies of entertainers who promise a cheap way to joy, from the lies of politicians who pretend to instruct me in power and morality, from the lies of, of the psychologists who offer to shape my behavior and my morals so that I will live long, happily, and successfully, from the lies of religionists who heal the wounds of this people lightly from the lies of moralists who pretend to promote me to the office of captain of my fate from the lies of pastors who quote, get rid of God's command. So you won't be inconvenienced. Matthew seven, eight rescue me from the person who tells me of life and omits Christ rescue me from the one who is wise in the ways of the world and ignores the movement of the spirit. See, when God is withheld, what this psalm shows us, when the truth of who God is is withheld in a life or a culture, when God's withheld, inevitably we'll come to live in a place or a nation or a culture where its leaders and its information gatekeepers do not honor truth-telling. And that causes a nation or a culture distress. And right now, I believe as a nation, we're crying out Psalm 120. God, save us in our distress from all the lies and all the deceit and all the conspiracy theories and all the bias we see. But what about you? Come on. What about you? What about me? Where, where are you today? Are you withholding something that's needed? Are you withholding your commitment to be fully truthful in conversations, to give fully out of your finances, to give fully out of your emotions to people who you say that you love and who love you. Listen, don't deceive. Don't withhold. It only causes distress. 
The writer here, he's sick of the lies. He's sick of the deceit. He looks up and he said, I don't fit anywhere. All the lying, all the lack of truth telling and the deceit, they stir up this reminder that screams at me and you and us every day. He's saying there is actually, because of all of this, nowhere in the world I could live, nowhere I could move to that can make me feel like I am home. And there it is. There it is. Underneath all the distress, all the tension brought on by all the sideways walking, I believe, underneath it all is a longing for something. A longing for home, right? I mean, back on that mountain with my friends, we were lost, distressed. All we wanted was to get where? Back home, yeah. So what is that? What, what, what is home? Anyway, if we're all after it, if we're all longing for it, if we all want to get there, that longing's underneath all the distress. What is it? What, what's home? Well, thought experiment here. Let's say, let's say you put on an oxygen tank and a mask of the scuba kind, by the way. And you learn how to go scuba diving and you get all your training, you get all your certification. And then one day you do it, you go out deep sea diving. Yay, you did it. And there you are, you're swimming, not sleeping with the fishes, swimming with the fishes. Some of you know that reference. You get to the bottom of the coral reef and you take off your helmet and you suck in two massive lungfuls of God's best ocean water. What's going to happen? Physical breakdown. Maybe death. Why? Because your lungs weren't made to breathe water. The bottom of the sea is not your home. You weren't made for that. But, but, but let's say, let's say, thought experiment, right? Fanciful stuff here. Let's say you could anyway. Aquaman, Aquawoman, Aqualad, and you live down there forever. You can breathe the water. What would happen? Well, after a while, a kind of psychological breakdown. Because you were meant to be around people. And people don't live at the bottom of the ocean. So the ocean doesn't support who you really are. And by the way, have you noticed we're always trying to make things feel like they're home to us? Ever notice that when you stay somewhere for more than just like a few days, you begin to make it yours, like, like the office or the cubicle you used to work back at in 2019. Remember that place? Yeah. You begin to fit that space uh, to make it to arrange it to fit you. You make the chair higher or lower. You put the picture up of uh, your spouse or your kids or your friends or the dog or the vacation photo, right? You, you dream of taking one day. You, you fit it for you. Why? To make it feel more like what? Home, yeah. Now let's go back to the ocean floor for a moment because that's a, that's a fun place. Let's say you have a great dive and you come back up and you, you take off all your gear and you drive back home and where you live. But ah, are you really home? On the ocean floor, you would have died quickly, super fast. But on land, hear me, the same ultimate result is going to happen. It's just going to happen more slowly, right? You're still going to die. How, how could this be home? Because even here, we're breaking down. The Bible says that we're wasting away outwardly day by day. One day your mind or your body or both are going to give out and you're going to die. You're welcome to church on Sunday. You know this, you just don't. We don't think about this. But why, why, the, why will you die here? Here's why. It's because this world doesn't fit you either. Why does it bother you when someone that you love dies? Because this world doesn't fit you. That stuff's not supposed to happen. Why do you, again, put stuff in your workplace? Because it doesn't fit you. Think about it. Then you, then you go home to the people in the pictures. But then when you're at home with the people in the pictures, where do you want to be? On vacation. Away from all the people in the pictures. Woe to me, I live with all these people, right? Then when you're on vacation, you can't wait to get back home to who? 
the people in the pictures. When you're at home, you want to be on vacation. When you're on vacation, you want to be home. Why? Because you're not really home in either place. Neither place ultimately fits the deepest longings of your heart. The Bible's been trying to tell humanity this for thousands of years. Look at Psalm 120, come on. Always traveling, never at home. First Peter, exiles, scattered, not at home. Look at the Jews later in Babylon, scattered, not home. Look at Abraham, he left home, Genesis tells us, and became a what? A pilgrim, an exile, someone in whose footsteps of faith we follow, says the book of Hebrews. Why is this the experience of all humans for all time? Here it is. It's because that was the experience, the Bible teaches us, of the first humans. Adam and Eve, they lost paradise, the garden, a home that was made and fit for them. And they went there out of that. Why? Because of sin. They went into exile. And we've gone there with them. East of Eden. You're not home yet, by the way. You and I. It's Christians. The Christian people, were sideways walkers. We're on our way. Where do we want to get to? The place the writer of Psalm 120 says he can't find. We want to get to a place that fits us, which is what? A place where truth is valued. A place where love lasts. Where the people who you love last. And where what we do lasts for forever. Where is that place? I want to tell you. It's not as much a place as it is a person, a person. Psalm 90, verse one says this. Oh God, you have been our dwelling place, our home throughout all generations. Did you catch that? God, you are our home. That's where we're headed if we're journeying with God. God's heart is the true home of every human. That's where what and who we were made for. That's all the garden was about anyway, giving Adam and Eve a place to be with God and his heart. How do we get that in this world? Because you know, you know, you can, you can't have that in a way. Here's how. You can have that, you can. Because once upon a time, I want you to hear me, the son of God, Jesus, was home. He was inside the Trinity, inside eternal love for forever. But what did he do? He became an exile like us. He left his home. He came to earth. And while he was there, where was his home? Well, he didn't have one, right? No address you could look him up at. Foxes have holes. Birds, they at least have, they have nests. But I've got no place to lay my head, Jesus said. And he wasn't just an exile from heaven, was he? No. He was exiled. We exiled him from humanity. He was killed, crucified outside the city gates, outside any familiar place. He was abandoned by his father and his friends, and he died on the cross in the dark alone. And when you see him doing that for you, if you'll see him doing that for you today, because he had to, you know that right, to rescue you, he had to. When you see him doing that, you put your faith in him, and you cry out in your distress. Oh, Jesus, forgive me. I've tried to make my ultimate home here in the arms of another person. Oh, Jesus, would you save me? I've tried to make my ultimate home here through the place that I live or the career that I have. Oh, Jesus, rescue me. I've tried to make my ultimate home uh, here through good circumstances in a happy life. And it's been killing me. When you say to him, oh, Jesus, I believe in you. I trust you right now. I want to follow you first because you died to bring me home. Now you begin. A lifelong journey that will one day culminate in the arms and the heart of God. One day, by the way, you know this, right? You'll see him with your own eyes. 
You'll touch Jesus with your own hands. One day you'll do that. And you can have the first drop of that, the first taste through what's called the Holy Spirit right now. The Bible says that's a deposit guaranteeing what's to come. Guaranteeing where we're going. There's an old hymn I quite like. Maybe some of you know the words to it. It's pretty simple. It's called Home Where I Belong. Puts all of it like this. When I'm feeling lonely and when I'm feeling blue, it's such a joy to know I'm only passing through. I'm headed home. I'm going home where I'll finally belong. While I'm here, I'll serve you gladly and sing you all these songs. I'm here, but not for long. One day I'll be sleeping when death knocks on my door and I'll awake to find that I'm not homesick anymore. I'll be home, finally be home where I belong. You want to love the world around you? Hope you do. Be the best neighbor that you can. You got to be a sideways walker. You can love your neighborhood best when you know that's not really your home. And you can do this when you know that house or apartment or home you're going to, that you're headed at the end of the day, that's not really where you're headed. That true home is the heart of God. It is a house of healing that can cure any and every distress. I want to tell you that's true. That's true. And I hope you can say amen to that. Let me pray for you and ask God's spirit to come now. Perhaps put a little bit of that home in our hearts. Lord, I pray for all of us. So a German word, I think it's fair and way. It means far sickness, far sickness. We're, we're sick about a place we've never even been to yet. We're homesick, far sickness. want to go there. Lord, I pray you'd help us to remember 2020 is not our home. That's your heart. And I pray for every person watching, every person in the room here, perhaps in distress today. At that distress, would just reveal what we're really after, more of you. That distress would point us and aim us toward a better home. Lord, I pray you'd give us courage to remember where our true home is, to speak the truth in love. Hard tension to grasp. Help us to do that. But I'm praying for every person in tension today, every person in distress. You Help them. Meet them where they are. Remind them of where they're headed, where their true home is today. And from that, help us to be the best neighbors, citizens we can, this nation. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more info about how to get and stay connected to Mosaic Church, please visit us online at www.mosaicchurchaustin.com or download our app from your app store.